packaging for me is just like kind of a combination of just my love of graphic design and my love of stuff and products and brand. We've all been in the creative business for more than 20 years and love almost everything about it. But we have to admit, there are times when it's a shit show. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the ups and downs of the design and marketing business, lessons we've learned, and share ideas and support that get us all through the day. Sometimes we'll just shoot the shit. So welcome to the Creative Shit Show. Hey, y'all, it is so great to be here, but I have to admit, just right from the beginning, I'm a little bummed Karen's not with us today. Like, what's going on, Jamie? I know. She's a loser. We had a client uh, photo shoot that she had to attend this week. She's exhausted. You don't want her here today. It's not. <laughs> okay, so she's, she's doing business. Yeah, she's doing business. She's going out oh, making yeah. that money. I love it. I saw the photo of her with the hard hat and caution <laughs> vest on. I was hoping she'd show up in that. Okay, hold on. Wait a second. Is she literally, is she one of the models? When you do a mill tour, okay. one of our clients are B2B manufacturing clients. So she had to go do like the mill tour and they make you wear the safety vest. And she didn't have a hard hat on, I don't think, but she had safety vests on. And I think Vaughn was trying to get her to do YMCA. You know? Okay, well, let's first just make it mandatory that in our show notes, we put a picture of Karen in a hard hat and some sort of safety vest because that's amazing. Oh, I've got it. Oh, I've got it. Yeah. <laughs> she was looking pretty groovy. She had a good week. But yeah, we had a good week. We've, we've been busy. What are y'all up to? Yeah, we've been grinding away at things. I mean, I, I, things have been a little slow for us later, lately, but it's starting to pick up. So I'm excited about that. How about you, little Vonnie Bear? I've been working on a Star Wars license artwork. That's been fun. Really? Yeah. Oh. Oh, okay. The loft cat, if you know what that is. All right, let's just throw that in really subtly. Is this official, or is this something you're just doing on the side? No, the the new Star Wars series called Asaka, uh, I think is how you pronounce yeah. it. There's a, yeah. I thought it was um, Ahsoka. You know her pet cat? It kind of looks like a cat. But yeah. it's, it's like uh, somebody hired me to do... Uh, kind of do a version of it so it looks like a sports mascot for an outer rim team. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. Okay. First of all, don't underplay this. This is like one of your dream jobs. Like, how are you that excited? I mean, this is the pinnacle of nerddom right there. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I showed yeah, my wife, and she, my wife just thought it was a cat. Is that a cat? And I go, well, a space cat, you know. <laughs> oh I'm going, you can be a little more excited. It's kind of cool project. <laughs> well, Jamie, I just want to say, who is this devilishly handsome person uh, on our show here? What 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 are we doing? What's going on? What are we talking about today? Oh my gosh, you guys, we're so excited. We have Andrew Gibbs, the founder, CEO, editor-in-chief of The Dye Line with us here today. I have a really long like thing written out to say about you, Andrew, but really what I just want to say is it's probably one of the most kind, humble human beings who uh, manages to work with the most rock star people on a daily basis. I've just never, I've, I've never met anybody in Andrew's position that, that is actually as kind and generous as he is. So we're happy to have you here today. We have a whole plethora of things to talk about, so I don't want to waste a ton of time. But Andrew, welcome. Thank you for having me. I, I want to hear this meal now. What did you prepare? Oh my gosh. 
Don't throw me a proper entry, especially if you took the time to write it. So. Okay, you ready? Our guest today is Andrew Gibbs, founder, CEO, and editor-in-chief of The Dyline, which has been delighting passionate packaging designers since 2007. Andrew also started the Dyline Awards to recognize the world's best consumer product packaging designs, and he believes in promoting sustainable packaging development whenever possible. So much so that he's actually a certified climate reality leader training under Al Gore at the 2018 Climate Reality Corps and recently celebrated five years as a member of Plastic Planet, a UK-based nonprofit dedicated to dramatically reducing the amount of single-use plastic in the packaging industry. Andrew is also the co-chief creative officer of the recently revamped and reinvented print magazine, where you can actually listen to archived episodes of our show alongside other creative podcasts. I can't wait to dig in. Welcome, friend of the creative shit show, Andrew Gibbs. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Research. I'm, I'm very impressed. That was very good. I might be a writer or something. <laughs> <laughs> you might be good at this. You, might, you should do I'm this. Not, I'm not very good at, um, you know, narrowing scope of projects. <laughs> you have a lot to, I mean, you have a lot going on, Andrew, so I'm excited to like just dig in and talk about um you know packaging and packaging design first and foremost um i I do have a a lead-in question and then we can get to some of the other questions but how did you get so passionate about packaging yeah it started back in college um i took a packaging design class i went to to school for graphic design um i actually graduated high school when i was 16 because i knew i was ready to be a designer i took design classes uh in high school we we had a program so i took three years of design in high school knew i wanted to be a designer um went to design school uh fell in love with packaging once i took my first packaging class and and i was just obsessed with this since then um I, i i fell in love with it just because the physicality of it there was something with it within design you know it's one thing to design a branding system or a poster or a book or something but like designing packaging is something that people fall in love with it's a physical object that they take into their home so um the first time i saw somebody buy something that i designed that was just the most wild experience and it was really early on in my career and it was like that is so cool and just the fact that somebody picked up something off the shelf that i had designed it it was just a really powerful moment for me so packaging for me is just like it's like my love of graphic design but then my my love of stuff and things also (laughs) (laughs) since i'm like a a secret hoarder basically of of just stuff um i realized i started a website about stuff which i I, I love um yeah it's kind of a combination of just my love of graphic design and my love of stuff and products and brands I, i think you know consumer brands are just so fun and so being able to kind of document the culture of consumer brands has been, has been really incredible. Oh, I love that. I don't know how we've known each other all this time and I've never asked you that question. <laughs> wait till we get official. I was thinking the same exact thing. Uh, first of all, Andrew, I just want to say I'm so excited you're on the show and you are one of the kindest, most lovely people in our industry. So thank you for all that you're doing. But yeah, I'd, I'd never heard that um, part of your beginning. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, for sure. We get right to the drinks, like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I have to admit, I am a double gin and tonic in. So, why don't we just get right into the questions? Like okay. right away, right? Yeah. Yeah, get into it. <laughs> All right, Andrew. Since you are not only like a curator of great packaging, you also have the the creative background and and sustainability background. What do you think most designers? Because I feel 
let me let me set this question up a little better. You know, when when internet first started, it's like everyone thought websites were like magic or voodoo, right? Design like how does the code, how does the right. you know website work? And it almost feels in a lot of ways, like at least to some of the younger designers that we work with or ones that come out of college, they're just like, how do you set up a file for a print? That's like, is that magic? Right. Because right. they're so used to being on the online space. So what do you think designers today? And again, this may be an unfair generalization, but I'll just throw it out to you. Often miss or forget about the impact and power of pi- of packaging design. I mean, that's the thing with packaging. It's like, it's so physical. Packaging is so not something that you can experience fully in a digital environment. There's a physicality to packaging that doesn't exist in any other part of design. Um, And and that's the piece that's so important to packaging. And it's like, I I, I love packaging so much and it's a double-edged sword with that physicality of it because for designers, it really creates, you know, a a, a problem because plastic and a lot of materials and a lot of um, products are designed in plastic and it's just not the right material. So it's, it's that like physicality of it that I love because it's something that people fall in love with. It's a physical item. It's something that people bring into their home, but you know, it's when you use those wrong materials and you create something that has still has beauty and form and function, but that package sticks around for 450 years might not necessarily be like, you know, the most functional appropriate use of a material. So it packaging has had a double-edged sword for me um, for kind of my whole career because, you know, I, I love packaging, but also it's trash. So I, I have a website about trash is you know, kind of when you really boil it down, you know, it's all designed to be thrown away. So mm-hmm. It's it's this really challenging dichotomy that I've really struggled with, you know, throughout the past, you know, ten years plus. Uh, it was about f- five years ago. I I had a, a health uh, challenge that I went through. Um, I was diagnosed with a brain injury that had caused a spinal cord injury from the the inside out, um, and I lost half the ability uh, on the left side of my body. I was going uh, partially paralyzed. Um, I had emergency brain surgery and they say when you have emergency brain surgery or you have brain surgery, it really changes things. And it really does. I mean, it changed my entire perspective on dye line and what I do in packaging in my industry. Um, when I was recovering, I had a friend bring over the National Geographic uh, Plastic or Planet issue. And it was that issue that came out with the bag that looked like the upside down iceberg. And, uh, we had just like redesigned the dye line. So I had the new homepage open and it was just so excited. And then I was looking through this magazine and I'm just seeing all this trash, like, you know, the beauty side of it on dye line. And then literally where it ends up in the depths of the ocean in this National Geographic feature. And, and it was in that kind of moment, I realized my my role in the industry. And, you know, if, if nearly every packaging designer in the world reads, reads my website, then, you know, I really hold a responsibility for providing information to the industry to provide better packaging to the world. I realized that, you know, there's so much waste created in the packaging industry and it's such a problem. And I went down this kind of path where I had to learn everything I could about sustainability. I became a sustainability expert as much as I could. Um, I I just learned everything I could about sustainable packaging because I knew, you know, designers want to know more. They need to learn about it. Like Jamie said in my intro, I partnered with a nonprofit called The Plastic Planet about about five years ago when I had the surgery. Um, Sean 
Donna Sutherland over there. She's an incredible woman. Um, one conversation with her, and it was just like I know I knew I had to work with her. And together over the next few years, we kind of uh, realized what designers really need right now, um, and we realized it's a resource for plastic free. So where can you actually find the materials? And that's the number one question I got from designers. Okay, cool. We know we need to go more sustainable, but where can we actually find the right material for the right application? And where can we actually source it? Where are the manufacturers? Where are the suppliers? Where are they at in the world? Um, what kind of materials can I do? What products are being made in these materials? Um, so we, we created a platform, uh, plasticfree.com, and that launched uh, last year. And it's been growing and it's been super, super incredible just to, to, to see it growing and to see the community really engaging in it and using it. And, um, you know, I hope it just becomes a, a resource for the industry. Um, and it's a double-edged sword with us for it because the whole goal of it is because uh, we're a nonprofit, a plastic planet. Um, everything that they do is, is all nonprofit. So the goal of Plastic Free is to support the organization so that the organization doesn't have to spend the majority of their time chasing grants and chasing funding because that's so much of what they do is just spending time just to just for the funding. So we're trying to use Plastic Free also as a way to uh, support the nonprofit perpetually. So. That's awesome. I didn't know you had launched that site. (laughs) (laughs) So what's missing is the resources to find alternatives to synthetic and and other wasteful materials. And and you're trying to fill that gap. It sounds like. Exactly. That's great. Good. Yeah, so we, we have hundreds of materials in the library that are all vetted by scientists and our whole editorial team that are making sure that these are real, actual materials that can be used, are used, that, you know, we do like the hard work of sourcing everything. That way, it's, you know, all the information is there and it's all real and ready to go for designers. So we're trying to like cut through that legwork because so much of the design and development process, especially going into sustainable packaging, it's a whole nother kind of mindset in it. Um, it's so much sourcing. So if, if you know we can help in in that sourcing, then that's going to take a, a load off designers also. And is all of that on the die line, or is that a different domain? So it's all on plasticfree.com. So that's okay. all kind of a, a separate platform, uh, subscription based to to support the nonprofit. This is going to make me sound like such a dingbat, um, but I'm but I'm fine with it. But you know, I have my I'm such a paper whore. I have like my paper background, and so yeah. when I think of packaging, I I what always pops in my mind is just like beautiful box or yeah. you know like something paper based that you yeah. are packaging. So it's weird because I don't even think about my shampoo bottle and all of the plastic things that you're talking about. Does that make me sound stupid? No, 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 no. <laughs> so, like, for me, thinking, oh, we're going to ask these questions, but then I start thinking, like, oh, plastic-free, like, we're actually just saying, like, packaging as, like, what holds everyday objects that people right. use. So I always go back to, like, you know, packaging designers thinking about boxes. So so my next question doesn't make a lot of sense, but... um <laughs> I was going to say, you know, it, I think designing packaging is is probably very complicated and there's a ton of of elements to it that make it probably more challenging than than most people realize when they begin to think about becoming a packaging designer of sorts. So extremely technical. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So so what's the technical obstacles that might get in the way of somebody just, you know, one day, I don't think you just one day say, Oh, I'm going to design packaging. If you've been doing web work or other things for a while. 
I mean, like, you can, but there's definitely a, a learning curve to it. Uh, there's such a physicality to it. Um, I, I teach packaging design at Art Center in, in Pasadena. Um, and I, I love, love teaching my students. But um, I, I kind of learned the difference when we did online during COVID just, um, and being back in person. There's just such a difference when it was online and there's no actual physicality of it and you're not making physical samples and you don't understand the scale. It just is not the same. And once we got back to person and got back to physical samples, it was like, no, packaging is so physical. So if you are a web designer or a digital designer and you want to get into packaging, it is so doable. And especially with all the new, new tools now with 3D rendering and Blender and everything, it is so doable. Um, but you have to print it and you have to print things out to scale. And that's what I always make my students do. It's like everything has to be printed and you have to do it to scale because packaging, it's going to live in physical in the physical world. So if you're not creating a, some sort of physical render of it while you're designing it, you don't really mm -hmm. know what you're designing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the same on the print side, you know, I, I think so on the print side, it's, I would always say it's really super important to bring in your print person like early, you know, yeah. in the process. So you make sure you know how to set up your files for print. You make sure that you know what, what exactly your die line's going to, you know, right. look like, and then they send you what that, you know, they send you a physical um, example of that. So is that the same on like the plastic packaging side of it or the shampoo bottle side of it? Do there, are there production managers that you can get the samples made while you're in production? I mean, yeah, absolutely the same process for, for boxes versus like plastic bottles to anything like that. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, cool. it's a pretty, pretty similar, similar process. But yeah, having a physical sample, it's just, it's a hundred percent necessary. If, if you're designing packaging, that's like, don't, don't get my biggest, like, I always say YOLO, you only launch once, especially with consumer <laughs> brands. Like if you're printing a package and you're printing 10,000 cans. You do not want to fuck up that can. And like I made mistakes <laughs> in my early design career when I was still designing packaging and I printed the wrong barcode on a can that got, you know, 20 printed 20,000 times and they had to physically sticker over every single one of those barcodes. So like it's a, high, a lot higher stakes than a lot of other forms of design. Cause it's like, if you, yeah. that, there's like some cost attached to that. I, I got, I got yelled at for that one. Cause that was a pricey <laughs> F up. It was, it was their, and it was, it rang up their competitor string too. That was the worst part. Oh, <laughs> so, oh no. It was very, very like, oh, oh, what? Sorry, guys. So, I mean, go big, right? <laughs> but I always say, do a physical sample, test your barcodes, scan them, make sure they work, make sure everything's readable, legible. Yeah, things like that are important. I just have one little tweak to my initial question. I guess when it comes to what do you think designers miss, I, I guess part of it is um, just like anything, um, and again, please disagree with me here, um, part of the designer or the creative's um, ability to be more sustainable and smart in what they're doing is to really understand also the design itself can either increase the use of material or decrease yeah. the use of material, right? And so do you see, it feels like the creative industry in general is more aware of that or, yeah. or do you feel that um, it's, we still got a long way to go? 
I mean, I think we're becoming a lot more aware of it. I think designers are. Um, I, I think it's 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 new, but it's we're seeing things that are becoming more industry standard. Um, like we're working on our, our trend report for 2024. Um, and one of the trends that we identified uh, was specifically with aluminum refills. Um, and we're seeing that brands are really owning the aluminum refill space. Um, kind of packaging refills originally started with plastic concentrates. So if, if which felt okay, but like really kind of disingenuous. There's like a Dove one that's great. It's super concentrated. One little bottle is like four bottles of, you know, it's cool, but it feels very disingenuous when you're like trying to be sustainable and it's still coming out of a plastic bottle. Um, so, so brands are really owning aluminum um, in, in that refill space. So we've seen brands use traditional aluminum cans, like actual beverage cans as refills for like soap, um, things like that. Um, cool. And a lot of brands are using like the newer generation aluminum cans with resealable lids uh, for refills. Then they'll put on um, like uh, you can put soap lids on them, like pump pumps on them, things like that. But yeah, we're really seeing brands uh, pick up on, on like the refill system. Because that's something that that consumers are are, are understanding, and mm-hmm. it's something that brands are really able to do. Um, so refill systems are, are a fantastic, like initial step towards going sustainable with your packaging. Because you can do a refill system where your refills come in aluminum bottles, and it's a hundred percent, you know, recyclable, and that bottle won't make its way to the ocean. Love it. So I'm playing off of that a little bit. It seems like the more educated the next generation designers are, not just with the the practicality of packaging and designing packaging, but the technology. Because, like, one thing, I went to my mom's a, a couple months ago, and she was using something, I'm sure you heard of this, called Earth Breeze which are, they're just sheets and it comes in it's a like, paper envelope. I wish you guys could see Andrew's face when he said, I'm sure you've sure you heard no, of it. He was they, like, they, they were awesome. All it was was like a, a craft paper envelope with a, with a sticker, a matte coated sticker printed on it, but it had sheets in it. And she'd drop one sheet into her washing machine and it would immediately dissolve in the water and it, she'd wash it and it's all biodegradable. And every time now I go to the grocery store and I walk down the aisle and you see hundreds of these huge jugs of plastic with liquid detergent, I'm just going, you know, is it that that company came up with this product and so they they own the patent on it and so nobody else can do something like that? Or it's like, it seems like that's something that'd be smarter for them to license to everybody, get rid of all the plastic that's a technology that absolutely exists. There's there's several brands out there that are doing um, like laundry sheets where you literally just pull off like, yeah, like you said, like a little tab of paper and it turns into just the laundry detergent. Um, yeah. yeah, every brand can do that already. That's the thing. We, we ship around so, so much water. Like water is 90% of the products that we buy. Um, I use Blueland, for instance. They don't have shampoo yet, which I hope they do eventually, but they just came out with like, um, like you were mentioning your bathroom, like your body wash for instance like i was looking for a liquid refillable body wash and i could not find one finally blue land came out with one and it's just a simple powder add water shake it you're good to go 
So, you know, these systems are there. They, they exist now. So there's not any excuse for brands not to do that. Um, okay, and I got to say, I have to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah. Andrew smells fantastic, too, if you're lucky enough <laughs> to get uh, I was been wondering you. what that smells like, sandalwood or something. Like, every time I hug you, I'm like, oh, uh, I'll, I'll linger a, a while longer. <laughs> I was wondering what you were using. It smells good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> back to back to our normal program. Over the years, I'm sure you've seen all kinds of packaging, but can you single out one that like was just one of the most unique packages you've ever seen? What it was for? Oh gosh, that's like such a tough question. I probably see more packaging than anyone on the planet, to be honest. So I'm like, who, which one? Um, off the top of my head, there was one, we had a winner a couple of years ago. Um, and it was for a pot of honey and it was packaged in beeswax. And it was just this most beautiful package, uh, completely made in beeswax from the bees who made the honey. And it was just this entire closed loop system on a farm where a, a, a designer, um, and it was his father's farm and he's a designer. So he basically helped his dad repackage his honey. Um, and they just packaged it in the most beautiful way in a material that's made by the bees from, from, you know, the honey that's in it. So it, it became this entire closed loop system and just like, well, why hasn't anybody thought of that before? It was just such a like, duh, of course you should put it in, in wax and beeswax. Like it was just so like, wow, that is such a good <laughs> idea. I cannot believe nobody's ever done this before. And like, what a great and beautiful way to, to package something. So that was just one I one one that that's always like stuck in my head is like, wow, that's just really smart. And that's a good, you know, use of materials. I love the fact that the designer didn't go the easy way out and did something unique. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it incredible that no matter how long we're around as humans, like there's always like a new in innovation, like right around the corner, you know, like you just don't even know where the need is going to come from. No, I'm AI now too. Everything's everything's changing. Oh, don't even so, get Vaughn started. We're not allowed. <laughs> AI is off limits. I would say, like, just that example too to build off what you just were sharing, Jamie, um, Andrew. I, I'm sure you can relate to this on a lot of levels, packaging wise. Even like when it comes to structural formation and stuff, it never fails to amaze me how many obvious opportunities and um, solutions are already found in nature. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was beautiful, Justin. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll be done now. No, you have to be done. <laughs> Very vulnerable, raw moment. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, there's so many. It's like nature's packaging. You can't really do much better than the way that, you know, nature packages itself. That should be. I mean, and we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of upstarts of companies that are using like algae to create new new materials to replace plastic that's like that's compostable and biodegradable. So we're going to be seeing a lot more nature-based materials um, in the next year and coming years to, to replace plastic, which is which is exciting. Can't get much closer, you know. Like, I I don't know. I just think that's really cool 
You're right, Justin. Like sorry, food funny. packaging. It's like when you think about food packaging, it's like the worst offender because so much of it, it's like it's it's food. It's designed for consumption. You're going to eat it, and the packaging is going to live for 400 years. It's like, wait, that's not. But something's not right about that. You know, it's like maybe the you know, and so having the packaging and the material that can go back to the earth, you know, is the correct answer. So it's exciting to see that those kind of materials being developed and brands starting to go down that direction because. Um, that's what kicked it off with with food and with the plastic planet was just the idea of like you know you're eating something and you're throwing that package away in three seconds and it has a shelf life of nothing but it's going to live for 450 years like what the fuck is wrong with that like that is a bad use of a material from a design perspective yeah i can't really disagree with that i know vaughn has like a a passion for plastic straws you know visceral feelings towards that yeah that goes <laughs> that brings up another question and when i was at adobe max okay. um i wasn't so thrilled with the the ai stuff they were going over but i was impressed at lunch one time where they're feeding fifteen thousand people and i show up and all their utensils were biodegradable like i don't know what brand or who did them but like kind of hardened craft paper, but it had a thin coat of wax on it too. So it's not like you stick it in wet food and it would degrade immediately. But I, I was just going, okay, look, if they can do this to feed 15,000 people each day and not add to yeah. you know, the problem, it's like I, I get frustrated as you stated, you know, they, they've gotten rid of plastic straws. Well, most of them, Starbucks still has straws, plastic grocery bags and paper bags in our grocery store even. So you have to bring your own reusable uh, grocery bag. And so you buy all this stuff, but everything is still sold, as you said, in non-biodegradable plastic packaging. Yet I'm, I'm sure there's alternate sources. Like I, I've seen things on hemp plastic or biodegradable plastic. And I'm just, why are brands slow to adopt that and push it out there? You would think you'd start seeing more of that. And it's like, it seems like it's a, it's a glacial pace for them to push it out. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, it's hard. It's tough. Cause like the solutions are there and you want to see them happen ASAP. Um, but the reality is these new materials are scaling up. Um, like these, the, the companies who are doing seaweed based, uh, algae based materials, um, they're literally scaling up farms of seaweed in the ocean so that they can supply enough seaweed to, you know, there's a company that's working with Target, for instance, on creating a seaweed based, uh, shopping bag to replace the Target bag. Um, and just the sheer amount of, of raw material that they need to be able to do that. They have to plan for a couple of years ahead to plant that, you know, forest of seaweeds. So when you think about packaging in that perspective, it's like, this is why some of the things do, you know, are taking a long time because this is a whole new ecosystem that has to get developed from the ground up. It's so, so weird that they're like not pulling the ocean for algae. Like when right. you just said they have to plant it, I was like, what? Because I'm thinking how gross it is when it gets on you in the ocean. I'm right. like, oh, you're doing us all a service. Like, <laughs> like take, take all the algae you want. But I'm sure that would be super destructive in a completely different way. So you have to sustainably plan right. to replace yeah. what you take. Exactly. Exactly. 
Oh my gosh. It's, it's so complicated. It is. It is. I mean, packaging is one of the biggest industries in the world. So it, it's, it's, it's a long game for sustainability. This isn't an overnight thing. This is a, a big, big transition that's going to happen over the next 10, 20 years. It's not a, are you, so. I mean, do we still think there's companies out there that are completely resistant to this? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of overseas companies, a lot of companies here in the States yeah. are really resistant to it. So yeah. Because of, and why do you think that is that because of, Money or lack of um, of value around it? It, it? Money. Plastic is cheap. It's 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 oil. It's extremely cheap to produce. It's cheap to make. It's full. It's you know. It's a wonder material. It works really well. It holds hot. It holds cold. It holds liquid. It holds everything mm-hmm. in any shape, any form. Um, and it's cheap to use. So I completely understand the the industry's obsession with it. It, it it's. It's 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 functional in the sense of what it needs to do. It's just not functional in its in its end life. But these companies aren't necessarily concerned about the end life, and that's the problem. Profit over planet. Yeah, yeah. So, like in Europe, a lot of the the, the laws that have been passed over there are on um, you know the the companies being responsible for the waste that they're actually creating, which is is literally forcing them to to answer that end of life question. That just went um, into effect, right? In like twenty twenty two or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. I had to write something for a client. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 happening slowly, but we'll get there. I, I'm hopeful. For for those of you out here who are listening and you're working for companies that are <laughs> that are resistant to that, I mean, do you have some like quick insights or quick thoughts, you know, that you could share with us that that could help, you know, somebody right. maybe use that as a selling yeah, point? Like, designers have so much more say in the materials than they think they do, and so much more power um, in their roles than they think they do. A lot of the research shows that designers and agencies are generally the ones who choose the materials. So they have so much sway over their clients. Um, and, and, and I know it can be hard working with clients who are resistant to it. So kind of what I recommend for designers and for agencies and, and people who are working with clients on, on projects is give them three options. Because generally, you're going to give them three design options anyways, most of the time. Um, unless you're that like one cocky designer, you're like, this is your one option. And that's all you're going to get. <laughs> fine. If you want to be that guy, cool. That's fine. But I suggest giving them the three different options. But three different levels of sustainable options. Give them level one of like, okay, this is where you're at. This is a very iterative change. This is what you're asking for. Then level two, this is, okay, we replace the cap with the more sustainable material. It's going to cut X, Y, Z. Or then there's level three where we really rethought the entire package and we should actually package in this. And here's a whole new way of doing it. So I always recommend that because like you might not get them to go all, all the way from, you know, from the get go. But if, if they might, if you can inch them up, you know, um, you know, get them to replace that cap, replacing that one plastic cap with something else that's paper based or, or, or something will have a huge, huge impact. So those like little wins, like if you can get a cap change to paper or a material change, those little wins are huge. So designers really have a lot of say and a lot of ability to, to push the industry forward. So with, with packaging, it's hard because I always say to designers, like ultimately, like you're choosing the material. So you're kind of responsible for what you're putting out in the world. And so you have to think like, you know, Know, is, is this product that I'm designing? Are you, you know, proud of that material that it's on and how long it's going to last in the world? So peer pressure. That's yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, never hurt. Andrew, you bring up a really interesting point, and I, I love that. By the way, I agree because one of the ways that designers we, we have like an intimate 
you know, um, part of the process. And so uh, I think design over, you know, my career has become even more and more responsible for helping lead in education and awareness, and that sort of thing. So in that, if there's a creative listening to this right now, and he's a, as a freelance or an internal designer that has the influence options, what are some places or resources they can go, right, to either help educate them or to be able to start exploring even what their options are from a material standpoint um, or data to be able to support their material choices? Where, where are some places that you would recommend them to go? Uh, Dyline obviously is a great resource. So our sustainability section, um, I, I would definitely start there. Um, it, it, we, we, you know, we feature so many brands that are doing sustainability right. We feature new materials. Uh, we do a monthly recap of materials from plasticfree.com also. So you can get a little bit of like a, a free preview of plastic free on Dyline. Um, also plastic free. It is a subscription base. So it is, is it is a bit more of an investment. Um, but the information is phenomenal. Um, but there's a, also a lot of re- other resources. There's an agency called Guacamole Airplane, which is like my favorite agency name because it's just Guacamole Airplane. It's like, what the hell is that? <laughs> I love it. Um, but what they've done is they've open sourced their own supplier guide. So every single supplier, sustainable supplier that they actually use in projects that they've worked on, they've open sourced everything. So a lot of this information is, is out there. So like their supplier guide is a fantastic, fantastic resource. To, to start from. That's great. No, I, I really appreciate that. And I think um, I didn't tee you up that way on purpose, but I'm glad it worked <laughs> out that way. Um, Thank you. I'll take it. But I think what's really important is, you know, for the, those people who maybe have thought of dying in the past of, of just, you know, featuring just really beautiful, well thought out design. What I really want to appreciate and I want to iterate even more is that's just one dimension of of why you're doing what you're doing. And so um, I thank you for bringing all that into the light and into our community. I think it's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it it needs to catch on and, and it's, it's sad how slow it is, but you know, from a manufacturing perspective, it is expensive, right. To make those changes within, not just for sourcing materials, but to the equipment runs different for, for all the different things, you know, and then you have to go out and find a supplier who can, you know, do it or a producer who can produce it. You know, it it, it is an investment. So yeah. yeah, and we're starting to see some parity in pricing, which is nice. Where we're, we're pricing for sustainable is getting low, sometimes even lower than, than traditional. But like you said, it's not necessarily always the material. It's the manufacturing process and the machine that runs that material. So if the material costs less, but you have to replace, you know, a $100,000 machine, that's not, you know, that's that's a challenge. So, yeah, it is. It, it, it's there are a lot of challenge our industry is facing right now with sustainability. But I, I feel really hopeful and I feel really positive we're, we're heading down the right track oh i love that me too i feel good about it hey you know what i want to talk about more than anything uh, <laughs> um, we haven't talked about print mag at oh, all yes. like catch catch us up on what's going on over there yes um Print Mag Awards, the the Print Awards 2024 are launching um, next week. So I think by the time everyone hears this, they will have been launched. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, definitely check out the the Print Awards. Um, we have an incredible jury this year. Um, some really awesome new categories. 
but yeah, Prince, Prince doing great. Prince chugging along. Uh, Debbie and the team over there are just doing such an incredible job at leading the editorial content. And just, you know, I'm so proud that we were able to, to rescue the brand and bring it back to life. And, you know, it's, it's something that's so meaningful to me. Like, you know, Die Line, How, Print, that, that kind of just, you know, these brands are just so meaningful and important to me. And I'm, I'm glad that we were able to, to keep Print alive and keep it going. So thanks for everyone who's reading the site and supporting it and really engaging we're so we're so thrilled and just so proud i mean it carries such a strong brand with it right so everybody it's like i remember you know like i said in my early in my career it was like if we could get a project featured in in print mag it was like the state it was like above the standard you know it was very exciting to get to get you guys to write a piece about it it's it's such a part of our history print was started in 1940 it was the first design magazine in the country so you know we didn't want to let that just completely die um so i'm 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 so glad we we brought it back and we're we're just really really happy with the support that we've received from the community and the design community um because they're really really just eating it up and I'm, i'm so glad and so just so grateful that we have the platform to you know be able to continue to share great content and great design content and new designers and new talent and you know share what's going on in the design world thank you for doing that all right so i need to know what is next for andrew and the die line Yes. Um, we've got a lot going on. Uh, we recently kicked off Die Line Awards 2024. Uh, it's our 15th year of the competition, which is wild. I cannot believe it's been 15 years. That's absolutely insane. Um, we just added a Die Line Awards concept, a uh, uh, dedicated subcategory with its own dedicated trophy, um, which is cool. So for this year, it'll be our biggest uh, competition yet. We'll be awarding a, about 169 winning projects this year. Um, Holy cow. Yeah, so, so it'll it'll be a big one. I'm, I'm really excited. We um, also partnered with Lux Pack as our presenting partner this year. So um, all of our winners will be on exhibit and announced at Lux Pack New York on May 8th. Um, and we're just really excited for this partnership because we can't think of a better location to celebrate, you know, the industry's best packaging than at the leading event for creative packaging. So it's well, uh, and you get to travel the world too. I mean, Head over to uh, Monaco and <laughs> yeah. So our exhibit will hopefully travel to some of the other Lux Pack events. So hopefully I'll hop over to Monaco and stuff. That'll that'll be okay if I have to. I, I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's such a natural fit. I mean, to be able to have that stuff on display because, as you said, unless you get to see those pieces live it, it's it doesn't make quite the impact i mean you yeah. have beautiful photography <laughs> online and everybody can go there to get inspiration but the touchy feely part of it holding it is yeah. such a different thing yeah i've always loved seeing it's so impressive when you would set that out at the how design you know the yeah. die line um booth that you would always have it was like just yeah. uh, so impressive to see all the winners out there and then you know sneak a touch or so in february <laughs> we're actually um with lux pack in the uh, LA event, um, we're going to be doing a new exhibit, um, and this is this is news. Nobody, this nobody's Ooh. nobody knows this. So, dun, dun, dun. Um, exclusive, exclusive. We are doing an exhibit for our 2024 trend report. So the actual exhibit will be the uh, physical manifestation of some of the trends in the packaging industry now, so that you can actually physically touch the latest and greatest in packaging right now, and what we're project what we're projecting is the trends for 2024. So we're super excited about that to have this like you know walk through trend report that we've never done before. So when do you sleep? 
You know, I've been sleeping a lot more lately, which has been great. I I got an app recently to track my sleep deficit because I was like, in my my mind, I'm like, I'm not sleeping enough. I'm not sleeping enough. I have zero sleep deficit whatsoever. So I'm sleeping just fine somehow. I love that. You're happy. Yeah, happy life is good. I, you know, no, no complaints. When when you when you love what you do, that it, it doesn't, you know, doesn't feel like work so much. It just feels like a part of your life. True. I love it. Well, I I just can't say thank you enough for just all of the education you bring into our industry. And you know what I think is beautiful, Andrew. This is one of the things I love about your brand is that really celebrating the thought process, the craft, and the beauty of design and the importance and value of making that um, design solution a sustainable one as much as possible. And I think that is just um, a message that we just need to keep, you know, pushing home. And so thank you for being a leader in that. Thank you so much. But we can't let Andrew go without asking him questions. Do you have a shit show story that you've experienced you could share with us? A shit show story. Ooh, like what kind of a shit show story? It could be a, a client shit show story. It could be one about packaging fail, anything like that. It's Ooh. putting up your exhibit and everything like fell apart. Whatever. You know, I, I, do have, I do have. I do have one shit show. Um, this was the very, very first Dyline Awards we ever did. Uh, this was in Chicago. Um, and this was at a, a design conference that, that predated how um, it was the first year we did our ceremony um, and we had our trophies and our trophies are, he- they're heavy. They're solid. Our they first original trophy, like, uh, like by 15, 20 pounds. Like a gold um, brick. <laughs> I dropped one on my toe on stage. It was the most painful, like hit the right angle where it's just like Ouch. shooting down my leg. And I'm like, just trying to hold it together. Like just, I'm not in any pain whatsoever. Congratulations. Here's your win. It's like, holy fuck, I'm going to die. This hurts so goddamn bad. Why did all I could think is like, why did I make these trophies so heavy? Why are they so heavy? And, and they're still very heavy. But <laughs> that, that was a shit show. And printing, you know, 20,000 barcodes on a can that was for the shit show. That can happen to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> shit happens. It definitely does. Oh my gosh. Andrew, I could talk to you for like eight hours you know uh, i'm always catching up with you um thank you for being here with us thank and so sharing all your insights and come back anytime you're welcome uh, anytime appreciate it. thank you thank you thank you love you guys and thank you for doing what you do yeah and oh definitely. and thanks for putting us on printmag.com yeah. too we really appreciate that it's so fun the, the, the feeling's mutual and i'm so excited now that jamie um outed you and how good you smell so when everyone <laughs> they're gonna be like Checking you out. <laughs> really intimate hugs now. Thanks, thanks, Jamie. Appreciate that. You're not welcome. <laughs> no no <laughs> I'm so sorry, but it's true. <laughs> I call it out. 